Looking forward to concluding our series today, FFTF, Faith for the Future. I'm excited about preaching today, but I'm also a little sad that uh, the series is coming to an end. Uh, but I want you to know that even though the series is coming to an end, that doesn't mean we stop having faith for the future, okay? That just kind of continues on, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what God does on the horizon. Uh, you can find a seat this morning, and if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it. And we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have a Bible that you can follow along with. Isaiah chapter 43 is where we're going to be today. And we'll start reading here in verse number 15. If you found it, would you say found it? All right. If you haven't yet, just pretend. Isaiah 43, I'll wait, I'll be patient. There you go. There you go, thank you, all right. I'm gonna wait for you until you find it, okay. Isaiah 43, verse number 15. The Bible says this, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse, the army of the power, and they shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as a toe, a wick that is quenched. Verse 18. Remember ye not the former things, neither the things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Does anybody believe that this morning? Today, I'd like to just speak for a few minutes on this subject, the way of the wilderness, the way of the wilderness. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this time that we can come together and worship you and lift up your name. And Lord, thank you that we have your word that we can look to. God, we know that John 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And God, we're thankful that we can look to your word and know that it is true and that you are true. And God, I pray that as we look to Isaiah chapter 43 today, Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would be challenged and that we would continue to have faith for the future. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. several years ago, our family was on vacation. And we were spending the holidays with uh, my side of the family in Colorado. And uh, we were there around Christmas time. And uh, our family has a farm in southwest Colorado. And uh, it was snowing and snowing and snowing and snowing. And just incredible, massive amounts of snow. And we had a great time. It was beautiful. But I was a little bit nervous for our drive home because of all the deep snow. And I thought, man, I don't want to get stuck as we drive out. We were leaving on Christmas Eve. And we were going to leave around 3 o'clock in the morning on Christmas Eve to drive all the way back to California to try to meet up with Katie's family for Christmas Eve dinner. And so we had a long drive. We got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, we started to make that drive in the snow. And uh, uh, it was all dirt roads for a little while until we got to the main road. And so I was nervous. We were driving about 100 yards out from the house. Sure enough, I got stuck in the snow. 
And I was trying every trick in the book to try to get out of that snow. I was just, I didn't know what I was doing. I just floored it. That didn't work. And then I put it in reverse and uh, that didn't work. And uh, I just was wearing shorts and a t-shirt because I thought I was going to be driving all day long. And so I'm out uh, in these freezing temperatures and shorts and a t-shirt trying to dig the snow out of the tires and uh, nothing was working and uh, we were stuck in that snow. And so I knew that I had to call my dad. And I knew that I had to ask for help, but I didn't want to call my dad because it was three o'clock in the morning. And so I ended up having to call him and I called uh, my dad and I said, hey, dad, we're stuck. And can you come and help us? And so my dad jumped in the John Deere Gator and he drove over to us and he attached a rope to the front of our car and attached a rope the other side uh, to the Gator. And he ended up uh, pulling us out of the snow and he made a way when there was no way. And I'm thankful that we were able to get out of that snow and we made it to Christmas Eve dinner on time with Katie's family. And uh, something that I learned through that experience is that the harder that I was trying to get out of that snow on my own, the worse off that I was and the worse that I was making it. And there's something innate within us as human beings that we want to try things our own way. Uh, There's something within us that we want to try to accomplish something in the way that we want to accomplish it, according to our ideals, according to our uh, ideas and philosophies, rather than many times uh, trusting in the Lord and his way. But I want you to know that God wants us to do his will his way. A lot of times we're interested in God's will, but we want to do God's will our way, but we are called to do God's will God's way. Uh, This is why the psalmist uh, said this in Psalm chapter uh, uh, 5, verse number 8, lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Everybody say, thy way. And so it's about his way, not our way. Uh, Several years ago, in the early 2000s, there was this kind of wild cultural phenomenon in the Philippines. And I've been to the Philippines many different times. And uh, uh, several things that they love in the Philippines, they love basketball in the Philippines. And uh, another thing that they love in the Philippines is karaoke. And singing and karaoke is a a big uh, hit in the Philippines. And uh, several years ago, in the 2000s, there was this uh, phenomenon that was taking place over karaoke bars in the uh, the Philippines uh, over the song My Way by Frank Sinatra. And this was one of the number one songs that they liked to sing. And apparently there was much hatred and vitriol if someone were to sing that song in the wrong way. If they didn't do the the song justice, people would get frustrated and there ended up being fights over the song My Way. And uh, tragically, There ended up being several murders over the song My Way in the Philippines. And uh, it's been known as the My Way Killings. You can look it up. And uh, there was this whole phenomenon over this song. And you know, the tragedy and the irony of that story is that our way is clearly often the wrong way. And so often we want to do things the way that we like doing them, and we fail to submit to the Lord's plan. Now, we come to Isaiah chapter 43 today, and this is a beautiful passage where God is saying, I will make a way when there seems to be no way. And I will make a way in the wilderness. I'll give you roads in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, before we can fully appreciate and unpack Isaiah chapter 43... I think anytime when you're studying scripture, it's so vitally important that you understand the historical context uh, of the chapter in which you are studying to kind of get your bearings as to, okay, where are we in scripture? What is the timeline? Where are we at in redemptive history so that I can interpret the passage correctly? Well, to understand the context of Isaiah chapter 43, the preceding chapters tell us what happened. And what happened was there was a king of the divided nation of Israel at the time, the southern nation of Judah, was led by a man named Hezekiah. Uh, The Bible says that Hezekiah was a good king, that he was a godly king. Uh, He was a great king. He had a friend, a contemporary, whose name was Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who spoke on behalf of God. This is the book that we're studying this morning, Isaiah chapter 43. 
And so we have Hezekiah the king, Isaiah the prophet, they were friends. And Hezekiah was a good king, but towards the end of his life, he made an unwise decision. And what happened was Hezekiah became very ill, sick unto death. And when he became very ill, the king of Babylon, who was a wicked king over an ungodly nation, he heard about Hezekiah's illness and he sent him a gift, uh, like a get well present. I don't know what was in that get well present. Maybe some chicken noodle soup, maybe a package of vitamin C, uh, maybe a Netflix, Netflix subscription, something like that. But he sent him a get well present. And what he was doing was he was trying to make an, an, an alliance with Hezekiah. Well, when Hezekiah received that gift, he was flattered. He thought, well, this is pretty cool. The king of Babylon wants to make an alliance with me. Uh, But uh, just because someone is good to you doesn't mean they're good for you. And so this king was being good to Hezekiah, but he had an ulterior motive to make an unholy alliance. And Hezekiah was flattered. And so what he did was he invited the king of Babylon to come and to take the grand tour of Judah. And he showed him everything. He showed him the treasury. He showed him the wealth. And he just revealed all the secrets, so to speak, and showed him everything. And when Isaiah found out about this, God's prophet, he's like, dude, what are you doing? Why would you show an enemy nation uh, all of these uh, things? Why would you make this unholy alliance with a wicked and evil nation? And and Isaiah, the prophet, is heartbroken over this. And he's saying, Hezekiah, why would you let pride fill your heart to make this kind of alliance? And he says, there's going to be a consequence because of this. In, In Isaiah chapter 39, it says this kind of telling us what Isaiah said to Hezekiah. He said, then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come. That all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers had laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And so Isaiah says, you know, all that wealth that you showed off and all the treasuries and all the things that you were so proud of uh, when you let that pride infiltrate your heart, all of those things are to be carried away to Babylon in captivity. This was a, a prophecy of coming judgment, that Babylon would become a world superpower and they would be in captivity for 70 years. How many of you would say this was not good news? This was not good. This was discouraging. Imagine, see, if you know redemptive history, you know, okay, we're, we're well aware of Babylonian captivity. But imagine hearing this for the first time. You're Hezekiah and you're hearing, man, because of my decisions, the people of God are going to be in captivity for 70 years? This was devastating. But how many of you know that God is so good and he is so gracious and he is so merciful? And so right in the middle of this announcement of coming captivity, God also wants to give an announcement of comfort. He also wants to give an announcement that he still has a plan for them, that he still loves them, that, that, that even though they're going to be in captivity, that they can still find comfort and hope and have faith for the future. And that is Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43. This is the chapter in which we're studying where he is providing uh, comfort. God is providing comfort through his prophet Isaiah uh, saying, hey, there is faith uh, for the future. You you can have hope on the horizon. And uh, in fact, in my Bible, above Isaiah chapter 43, I just wrote FFTF. Because it's in this passage where God's saying, hey, I know that you're going to be in captivity, but there are better things on the horizon. In fact, it's interesting that this was a message that was supposed to uh, comfort them and encourage them once they were in captivity. And so it was a message that they needed in the future. They weren't in captivity yet, but by the time Hezekiah had some grandkids, and by the time Isaiah had some grandkids, they were going to wake up one day and wonder, why are we in captivity? And they were going to wake up one day and and realize, man, uh, why, if God is so good, why are we in this uh, predicament? And so God was writing a message of encouragement for them in that moment. You, You know why we're praying for a future building? It's not just for us. We recognize that there are generations to come after us, and there are children that are going to be raised in the house of the Lord, and we are praying that future generations would pray and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not just about us. It's about future generations. 
And what we do here and now matters there and then. And so we ought to start thinking and praying and believing and dreaming a little bit bigger than just ourselves and realize that there are generations to come that will be in desperate need of the gospel. And so the Lord gives Isaiah this message to give to Hezekiah saying, hey, uh, once you're in captivity, remember that God is still good. Remember that he still has a plan. Remember that you can still have faith for the future, even in this captivity. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Isaiah chapter 43, these verses that we just read. And I want to give us a few reasons, a few uh, solid reasons, I believe, that we can have faith for the future. Would that be all right this morning with everyone? Three reasons that we can have faith for the future. Reason number one. God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. This is an encouragement. It's a reminder. It's something that we need to recognize on a daily basis that God is still on the throne. Notice verse number 15. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today. Notice verse 15. The Bible says this. I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. What an introduction and a reintroduction to who God is. He is reminding them, even though you're in captivity, imagine being one of Hezekiah's grandkids waking up, what's going on here? Why are we here? What's going on? Is God still good? Is God still loving? Is God still kind? And he says, allow me to reintroduce myself. I am still your king. I am still on the throne. Uh, uh, He was comforting them, letting them know they are still his people. They don't belong to Babylon. They belong to him. See, our confidence is not in who we are. Our confidence is in whose we are. We belong to him. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are the citizens of his kingdom. Uh, We are in his family. And so he's reminding them of who they are. And he gives this fourfold introduction to who he is in verse 15. He says, first of all, I am the Lord. Now, whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, uh, what that is, is the covenant name for God in the Hebrew. It's the word Yahweh. This was the name that God revealed himself to Moses in the book of Exodus when Moses said, Lord, uh, tell me who you are. And he gives him his name and he says, I am Yahweh. The word means the self-sufficient one, the self-existent one, the all-powerful one, uh, the creator God. He says, I want to remind you who I am. I am Yahweh. This was the personal covenant uh, name for God that he gave to his people. And so this was a name that was considered too holy to even be spoken. And so they wouldn't even speak this word out loud. He's reminding them, first of all, I am the Lord. But then he says, I am the Lord, your holy one. You know, holiness is the essence of God's being. Uh, We often don't like to talk about holiness in our culture today, and uh, we don't really fully understand and grasp holiness. Uh, But holiness affects every attribute of God. In fact, Jerry Bridges, he's an author, he said this, uh, Holiness is the perfection of all God's other attributes. His power is holy power. His mercy is holy mercy. His wisdom is holy wisdom. It is his holiness more than any other attribute that makes him worthy of our praise. Now, this was important for the children of Israel that were in captivity reading this message because they're looking around thinking, did God make a mistake? Like, if God is so good and if God is so loving and so kind and if God is going to set the captive free, then why are we here in captivity? And God is reminding them, hey, I did not make a mistake. I am holy. I have a standard of perfection. I have a standard of holiness. Can I just encourage you today that God does not make mistakes? That that, that we can trust him uh, each and every step of the way, even when it doesn't quite make sense to us. And so he's saying, I am the Lord. I am the Holy One. I love this third descriptor that he gives. I am the creator of Israel. I think it's good every once in a while to remember that we worship the creator God. 
that, that, that uh, by, by him were all things created and by him all things consist, uh, that he is the creator God. The Bible says in Isaiah 45, verse 18, for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. I love considering the creative power of our God. John Glenn, when he, when he was on the space uh, shuttle discovery, and as he looked out the window and looked back on earth, he said this, to look at the window as I did that first day, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible. What was he saying? The creation points to a creator. The design points to a designer. And I just want to encourage you, the same God that created the heavens and the same God that created the earth is the same God that created you. And the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm so thankful today that we worship the creator God. Now, this is important to note in our culture today. Everybody still with me? Because if we worship a creator God who created all things, that he is a designer God. He, he designed all things, that there is a design. We have to recognize that in our culture today, there is a war that is taking place between design and desire. That there is a design that God has established in his word. By the way, he's the designer. The designer gets to qualify and to quantify what the design is. He's the designer. And so there is a design for marriage. There is a design for gender. There, there is a design for your life and for my life. And so what do we do when God's design is at competition with our desires? Because we live in a culture where as long as it feels good, then do it. As long as it makes sense to you, then do it. As long as it's your truth, then live it out. And we have competing desires. But on a very surface level, it doesn't make sense when you apply that to every application. If someone comes to my life, if someone comes to me and comes to my office for counseling, and a man comes in and says, you know, um, I've had a happy marriage for 20 years, and things are going great, but there's, you know, another woman that caught my eye, and I have a desire to be with her, and I have feelings that are very real, and I have attraction that's very real. I, I would never say to that person, well, then you should go ahead and just do whatever your heart desires. <laughs> hey, those feelings are there, right? I'm not saying that the feelings aren't real. I'm not saying that there's not attraction. What I am saying is that there is a design and that our desires should never supersede God's design. And so we have to recognize today that if we're going to thrive in the culture in which we're living, that there is a design that we worship a creator God, that he's the creator of all things, that it's his idea, it's his design. And so it's our job to submit to that design. And so uh, he is uh, the creator. He's the holy one. He's the Lord. He's, he's Yahweh. Then notice the last description in verse 15. He says, I am your king. Now, I wonder if this one kind of stung a little bit for the Israelites, if this one kind of hit home a little too close. Because if you remember all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people of Israel, they didn't want God to be their king. Remember, they wanted an earthly king like all the other nations. Hey, we want to be like everybody else. We want to have an earthly king. And so, God, we don't want you to be our king. We want to have an earthly king. God, will you, su will you supply us an earthly king? And so that's what God did. God allowed them to have a king. By the way, God's allowance does not equal God's endorsement. Sometimes God will allow something to happen. That doesn't mean he endorses for that thing to happen. And so he said, I'll give you a king. And we know what happened. Uh, they had an earthly king. They had Saul. And it led to devastation after destruction, after destruction, after destruction. But they had their king. And so God has reminded them, even in the midst of their captivity here in Isaiah chapter 43, guess what? I 
am still your king. That even though you rejected me, that even though you didn't want me, uh, that even though you said, hey, we don't need you as our king, we want an earthly king, that even though they made a mistake and rejected God, God says, I have not rejected you. And I still have a plan for your life. And I still love you. And my mercy is still available. And my grace is still available. And I am still your king. Can I encourage you today that God is still on the throne, that he still is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and that he bows to no one, that there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And so we can have faith for the future because God is still on the throne. Now, this leads us to our second thought today, if you're taking notes. Uh, Secondly, uh, we learn this. We can have uh, confidence and, and, and faith for the future because God has been faithful in the past. So reason number two, God has been faithful in the past. Notice verse number 16. Everybody doing okay so far today? Thus saith the Lord, which makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bring forth the chariot and the horse and the army and the power, and they shall lie down together and they shall not arise. And they are extinct and they are quenched as tow, as a wick is quenched with water. Now, I wonder what he could be referencing here. Well, if you know uh, redemptive history and what God did with Israel, and you remember the book of Exodus, what God is referencing here through the prophet Isaiah is actually the crossing of the Red Sea. And so he's telling them, hey, uh, I know that you're in captivity now, but here's the good news. My people have been in captivity before, and I was faithful to deliver them then, and so I can certainly deliver you now. God was saying, hey, I've done this before. Uh, This isn't my first rodeo. When my people are stuck in captivity, I have been faithful in the past to deliver them. And God here is referencing through Isaiah uh, the parting of the Red Sea uh, upon the exodus from Egypt and how God provided for his people. Now, uh, in this scene of the crossing of the Red Sea, we're reminded of two things. Uh, First, we're reminded that the people had no hope. In fact, the Bible said this in Exodus chapter 14, verse number three. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land and the wilderness hath shut them in. And so in other words, Pharaoh said, hey, they're entangled, they're trapped. They are totally stuck and trapped right now and uh, the wilderness has uh, shut them in. Uh, See, Pharaoh had them cornered. Uh, Imagine being a part of the children of Israel and you come up and the Red Sea is in front of you and Pharaoh and the army is behind you. They want to kill you and you have the mountains all around you. You have nowhere to go. You are completely stuck and trapped. Have you ever felt completely stuck in your life? trapped, that like, like you wanted to move forward and you wanted to get victory in a certain area, but you just felt like you couldn't move forward, that you were stuck and uh, the enemy was behind you, there's an obstacle in front of you, and there just seems like there's no way that you can turn? Yes. This is where they found themselves. Uh, when we first started the church uh, several years ago, I remember at home one day, uh, I was sitting there studying and Katie was out at Costco and uh, she called me and she said, uh, I'm, I'm stuck. And I said, what do you mean you're stuck? And she said, I need you to come get me, I'm stuck. And I said, well, you want me to come get you? What do you mean you're stuck? She said, I'm in the car and I'm stuck. And I was trying to think, I'm trying to process this. And, and I'm thinking, you're in the car stuck. Did you lose your keys? Like, uh, uh, how are you stuck in the car? And she said, no, I, I dropped my keys between the seat and the center console. And I reached my hand down to get them. And my hand is stuck under the seat and I can't pull myself out. And I was thinking, are you kidding me right now? Like, you're actually stuck. 
Like, you actually want me to leave the house to come get you? Your hand's stuck in there? And, you know, we, were, we made a commitment, for better or for worse. And so I thought, well, I guess I better go and, and deliver her and rescue her from Costco parking lot. And so I, I was talking to her on the phone. I was like, are you actually stuck? Like, just try to wiggle your hand, you know? Certainly you can get yourself free. And she said, Matt, I've been trying for 20 minutes. I cannot get my hand stuck. I need you to come. And so I got in the car, and I'm like, all right, I can't believe this. And so I'm driving to Costco, and uh, I'm almost at Costco. And Katie called me again. She said, oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm, I'm free. <laughs> and I said, Katie, I'm almost to Costco. What do you mean you're free? And she said, well, I waved down someone that was next to me. He came over and pulled on the center console and I got my hand out and I was set free. And so I'm thankful today that Katie's still not stuck in the, in the Costco parking lot. And uh, be sure to find her and ask her about that incident when you see her today. And she was, she was stuck. And she was certain that there was, there was no way out. You know, sometimes in life, we can find ourselves in a season where we feel stuck in our sin, where we feel stuck in anxiety, where we feel stuck in bitterness towards someone that wronged us when we were younger. And you want to break free from that. You want to be liberated from that feeling. But you feel stuck, trapped. Just like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 when he said, man, all the things that I know that I shouldn't do, I keep on doing those things. And all the things that I, that I want to do, I don't do those things. He felt stuck. But can I tell you today that we worship a God that can break every chain, that he can make a way in the wilderness when there seems to be no way. And God has been faithful in the past, so certainly he will be faithful in our future. Even when it seems like there is no way out. God says, I can make a way. When there seems to be no way, even when there's no hope, but not only when there's no hope, even when there's no sight, even when we feel like, man, I don't see it. Uh, see, back in the book of Exodus, Moses told the people, he said, uh, stand still and, and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, when he said that, I can't help but think the people were thinking, exactly. Yeah, that's what we're asking. We want to see the salvation of the Lord. The only problem, Moses, is we're not seeing it. We're seeing water. We're seeing enemy and we're seeing mountains. But you're asking us to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But what happens when God has called us to take a step even when we can't see? That's called faith. That's why this series is not called Sight for the Future. It's faith for the future. Because sometimes God will call us to take a step even when we can't see. Wouldn't it be nice if we could physically see our next church building? Like we could just see it. Like I can see it in my mind. I have some vision. But I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And this is why God is calling us to take a step of faith. And I just want to encourage you. God's been faithful in the past, and he can do it again in our future. When we first started the church, Katie and I, we were calling so many different venues and locations, trying to find a spot to meet. We ended up calling 21 different locations, and 21 locations said no. You can't meet here. You can't meet at those times. It's already taken. You can't meet here. We ended up meeting for our first launch Sunday at Wayne Rubel Middle School. And uh, that's where we launched our church. How many of you were at Wayne Rubel Middle School on launch day? Okay, a few of you. And uh, God showed up at that middle school cafeteria. We would show up and there was applesauce all over the floor. But we turned that space into a worship center. And we lifted up the name of Jesus. And people were saved and baptized right there at that middle school. And then God, God opened up a new venue at Steelworkers Auditorium in downtown Fontana. And people were saved and baptized in downtown Fontana. I remember one day on a Saturday, uh, we got a phone call from Steelworkers Auditorium and they said, you can't meet here tomorrow. They said, we're having maintenance issues in the building and you have to find another place to meet. And so we had a few hours. It was Saturday and we had to figure out where are we going to meet and how are we going to tell the whole church family that we're not going to have
church at Steelworkers Auditorium tomorrow. And so I called our city council member, John Roberts, and I said, hey, John, is there anything that you can do? And he said, how about I just go ahead and open up city hall chambers for you to have church in tomorrow? And so that's exactly what we did for three weeks. We had church in city hall in downtown Fontana, and people were saved uh, in that location. I remember during coronavirus, we didn't have a building, and I was searching, and I was praying, and we were praying as a team and looking, and there was a building that became available in Rancho Cucamonga, and we were so excited about that, and I'll never forget uh, on a Saturday morning, standing with about 12 men from our church, praying uh, for this specific location, and uh, praying that God would open up this space. It was a perfect space for us, and uh, we prayed, and uh, we were excited. The very next day, uh, we signed a letter of intent to lease that building, and we were excited. This was the next step for us. About a week later, the city council at Rancho told us this building is not zoned for a church. You can't meet there. I was in that moment when I heard that news. Daniel could tell you he was with me. I was discouraged. I, I, was, I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Like, here we are in the middle of coronavirus. Uh, we're trying to move forward for the faith of the gospel, but we can't even find a space to meet. We're trying to do the right thing, God, but why does it seem like we're getting closed door after closed door? Discouraged. But the very next day, got an email that said 10601 Church Street, Unit 118 is available in Rancho Cucamonga. The building that we're sitting in right now is available. I'm so thankful that God closed one door and he opened up another one. And so I can have faith for the future. Why? Because God's been faithful in the past. God says, yes, I know that you're in captivity now in Babylon. Uh, but guess what? When, when my people were in captivity in Egypt, I was faithful to make a way even in the middle of a sea for them. I've been faithful in the past. That's why we can be confident in our future. Now, this is going to lead us to our third and final thought today. Do you have time for one more this morning? God's still on the throne. God's been faithful in the past. And number three, God promises hope on the horizon. Notice verse 18. It says this. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It had been hundreds of years since the old thing. God says, yeah, we can celebrate that. We can honor God through that. But I don't want you to concentrate on the old thing. I want your sights to be set on a new thing. I want you to have faith for the future. You know, I don't know what your personal past looks like. I don't know what kind of baggage you bring to the table. I don't know what kind of pain you bring to the table. I don't know what kind of messes you've been in. I don't know what kind of struggles and tragedy that you bring to the table, but I do know this. God is far more concerned with your destiny than he is with your history. He says, behold, pay attention. I will do a new thing. You can have faith for the future. Now, he makes a promise and he says, uh, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. I'm going to make a road in the wilderness. And I want to close by talking about two things. First, he talks about his path. I'm going to make a way in the wilderness, a path, direction. I'm thankful that when we need direction, that God is faithful to guide us through the power of his Holy Spirit to guide us through uh, his word, uh, that God will make direction. He'll make roads. He'll make a path for us. Aren't you thankful that we worship a God that can lead us and guide us and steer us in the right direction? He says, I'll make a path. And so don't be busy trying to forge your own path. Follow his path. I read an interesting story several years ago. It was about a prison in the 1970s in northern Mexico. And there were 75 inmates that wanted to escape from prison. And so they started digging a tunnel uh, underneath uh, this, this prison. And they were digging and digging. And they dug for five months. 
And at the end of five months, they finally broke through the surface on the other side of the prison. But what they didn't know is they broke right through the surface, right in the middle of a courtroom. And the judge saw them and he sent them right back to prison. See, and I think this is a picture of what happens when we try to make our own way. When we try to forge our own path, we end up right back in captivity. We end up right back to a place of struggle and bondage. And so God says, don't try to forge your own path. Follow my path. I'll make a way in the wilderness. I'll give you a path. But then not only will God give us a path, he'll give us his provision because he says, I'll make a way in the wilderness and I'll also give you rivers in the desert. Rivers speak of provision. Uh, rivers speak of uh, with God's calling uh, comes God's enabling that he'll give us everything that we need. And so roads of faith will always lead to rivers of fullness. When we step out in faith that God will provide exactly what we need. I believe God can provide for your job. I believe God can provide in your marriage. I believe God can provide in your parenting. I believe that when we step out by faith that the rivers of fullness will follow. He says, I'll make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. There's this beautiful passage in Ezekiel chapter 47. And it's of this millennial vision that Ezekiel has the prophet and he's, he's prophesying of a future time. But I believe that there's practical exhortation for us right here, right now. And I want to read this passage for you because I believe uh, it has great application for us. In Ezekiel chapter 47, verse number seven, it says this. Now, when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were many trees on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea. And so he's painting this vision, Ezekiel, this vision of this river that's flowing from the temple. These, these waters that are flowing from the temple. They go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, and they shall be healed. And everything shall live whither the river cometh. This is a beautiful picture, that there is a river flowing from the temple, and everything that that river touches brings life and healing and restoration. And this is my prayer and my belief for the future of Rock Hill Church, that there would be rivers of uh, grace that flow uh, from this place, and everything that those waters touch will bring healing, and will bring healing in marriages and restoration to wayward children. And there will be new ministries that start, and people that will be saved and accept the good news of the gospel message. And so let's be a church that says, you know what, we're willing to step even when we can't see and have faith for the future that God has for us. Now, there's one concluding question that we all have to answer. It's in verse 19. Everybody stay with me for this last verse. Notice verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Do you believe it? Now it shall spring forth. Do you believe it? Now here's the real question. Shall you not know it? He says, I'm going to do a new thing, but are you going to experience it? Will you see it? Will you seize it? Shall you not know it? Are you going to be a part of it? God says, I'm going to do something wonderful. I'm going to do a new thing. I can make roads in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The only question is, will you be a part of it? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines and miss all that God has for the future of Rock Hill Church. 
The only question is, will we see it? Will we seize it? Will we be a part of it? I'm praying that there would be some men and women and teenagers and children that would determine, man, I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. I believe that God has a great future for our church, and I'm going to see it, and I'm going to seize it. I'm going to be invested in all in. I don't want to miss it. Shall you not know it? The only question is, will you see it? He says, I'll make a way in the wilderness. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 43, the ultimate fulfillment of this message from Isaiah is found in Jesus Christ. Because Isaiah said, I'm gonna make a way in the wilderness. There's gonna be a way in the wilderness. And then when Jesus came, what did he say? I am the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Can I tell you, Jesus is the way of the wilderness that Jesus is the way of salvation, that Jesus is the way to eternal life, that Jesus is the way to satisfaction, that Jesus is the way to fulfillment. Anything that you're looking for today, Jesus is the way. And so what that means is it's a very exclusive claim. He's the only way. So it's not religion, it's not church, it's not trying to be a good person, it's not just, uh, uh, just barren religious activity, it's not just knowledge. Jesus says, I am the way. The only way that we can be saved, the only way that we can experience forgiveness of our sins and, and the hope of heaven is by receiving the gift of salvation that is found in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if there's never been a time in your life when you believe that Jesus is the way and you invited him into your life, then I believe today can be the day of salvation for you. And you can believe that he is the way and that you can know that you have a home in heaven when you die. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as we close.